listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. Welcome out to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. I am your host, Tyler Jorgensen, and today we have the one and one and only Arye Scheinbein, who is the host of Inside the Lion's Den podcast. He is the uh, main advisor at Solution Advisory. He is half of the Future Fund and a billion other things. I think every single time I talk to Arya, I find more things that he's involved in. Uh, welcome out to the show, Arya. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. Most people that come on the show have a very traditional entrepreneurial journey. Like, oh, I was a kid and I started doing this. and um, Or, you know, 18, I started my first company. But you kind of you've taken a little bit of a different route. You have a nine to five job, but you do a lot of things on the side. When was the first moment in your life where you realized you were an entrepreneur? Yeah. So it's funny now that I've actually talked this through a bit, I have a way better, you know, dialed in answer of when it was, because I would say, Oh, I don't know. It was sometime after I had my first, you know, job job. But if I go back, if I look when I was a kid, um, you know, everybody sold candies out of their locker and whatever it was. In, in addition to that, I was, um, I was, I was into sports, but I was really into sports cards. And so, you know, going to date myself a little bit here, but there was no internet to get the pricing instantaneously. Right. So the price guy would come out once a month. And as a kid who's following the players, if, a, if you see in between the price guys, that player is getting hot during the season, I would start buying that player before that next price guy came out. And like back then there were little, you know, you know, arrows upwards yep. or downwards. Right. You know? And so I would try and accumulate cards in between. And I, my, my, my dad, I remember on the weekends, he'd take me to like these card shows and like these are hotel lobby, not lobby, like the, the ball. No, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And so back then it didn't dawn on me, but that, that was like my stock market. And that was yeah. my whole thing. But when I was a kid, like if you told someone, oh, you're going to be an entrepreneur, that, that wasn't even a word that like almost was in the vocabulary. Right. To say that you're going to work for yourself was like, whoa, like what are you going to open a store? You know, like every, these ideas were like foreign. So I did what, you know, I was kind of expected of me. I went to school, got good grades so that I can get the job I wanted. And I went to Wall Street and I went into finance. And my whole thing in college was I want to get the best job and I want to have a successful career. I want to do well. And so, okay, high finance, they, they pay well, you got to do well in school. Okay. For the first time, like in high school, I was not like a straight A. I did well, but it was not because I applied myself, let's say. Right. And um, I'm sure if my parents are listening, they'll be cracking up to say, oh, he did well. Did he, you know, but right, right. Their standard might be different. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but in college I was like, I was very focused on, I was singularly focused, I would say, on getting good grades to get that job because that was a job I wanted. And I networked like crazy for two years so that I had a good network of people who would get my resume in to all the big Wall Street firms. And, and I interviewed tons of places, had offers at a number, number of places. It was really great. 
as soon as I got there, though, my brain started going like, okay, what's next? Like, wh- what are we doing now? And I was like, wait, no, no, I'm supposed to like learn this thing. I'm supposed to do this thing. But that within two, three years, I was, uh, I was, I got married young and uh, we were expecting our first kid and I'd come home and my wife was so tired. She'd be asleep by like eight, nine o'clock at night. Here I am young, 20 some odd year old. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to go out now. So I hopped online and I actually, it started, I, one day in the office, I just went out for lunch and I took a walk around the block. I stumbled upon this baseball card, you know, collectible mag, you know, uh, what do you call it? Comic book store. And I hadn't been collecting for years and I was enthralled with what had happened to the industry. They like, he tells me a pack of cards is five bucks. I almost pass out. Like when I was a kid, it was like 50 cents, you know, like, and I'm like, what the heck is in there? And he's like, wow. You know, and he takes out, you know, he shows me the, the expensive case and he shows me like, there's patches of their jerseys and there's bats and their sign. And I'm like, <gasps> like as a collector, as a, as a kid who's like at heart still liking the, the sport, I'm like, oh my goodness. So I went, I went to the office, I went back to the office that afternoon. And like, I went on eBay and he told me a box of cards is 120 bucks, but here on eBay, it was like 60. I'm like, huh. And that, that night I went on to Yahoo auctions and it was like 85, 95, hundred. I'm like, huh. Okay. And so immediately I just started at night, I just started buying at one price and selling it at the next. And then I'm like, well, this is inefficient. The boxes are showing up in my house, in my office. So I'm like, I would tell the, the person I would buy it from, hold on to it for a couple of days. And they're like, okay. And I'd go and I'd sell it somewhere else. And then I'd have them just ship it to the person. <laughs> and, and so it was like, Drop shipping before drop shipping, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is so inefficient too. There's got to be like, I can't, I can't really scale this. I'm like buying ones and twos. And so then I learned how to buy the cases wholesale and how I could buy like prior product. And then I started to understand that the small business owners had like terrible cash flow problems because the industry had so many products coming out. So they were just like pre-selling them. So I would buy before the product would come out because basically there's like, let's say each brand had like five to 15 different lines, high end, low end. And the stores all wanted the high end stuff, but the only way the manufacturer would sell them the high end stuff was as if they bought everything, but they couldn't afford that. So they would basically flip it on a pre-sale almost at a loss just to get that. And so I would be buying things for less than wholesale and I would buy a case of boxes and then I would just sell the boxes. And so ultimately I'm, I'm running this high finance job and I'm also doing this. So that was the point where I'm like, oh, I guess this is the thing, right? It wasn't called the side hustle then. And like that really though made me realize, okay, I'm very entrepreneurial. And I probably was a little bit ahead of my age in the sense of like, I couldn't go out and do it, or I was probably too scared at that point. And then, you know, I had this good job and I was good at my career. So why, why ditch that for the thing I was already doing on the side anyway? And so that, that was kind of how like all the paths started. I, I love that you were doing sport card arbitrage and flipping it before that all was even developed. I got started, you know, during high school and then college, you know, selling previous years, uh, snowboards, right? So similar thing. It was a high, high markup stage of, of the industry of the business before it was really developed. The internet wasn't developed yet. So I'd buy last year's inventory and sell it, na- you know, sell it the next year. Yeah. Um, and it's so fascinating people who have kind of been doing that arbitrage since the days of Yahoo auctions and early days of eBay, pre-PayPal, right? Like yeah. <laughs> early stage to now see the ecosystem that, that people can play in, it's yeah. almost unfair. 
it's like, it, but you guys didn't have to do what we had to do. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's so funny that you say that because so Amazon was the third platform. Amazon I got into after Yahoo auctions and eBay, right? And and in the beginning, you'd only sell books and DVDs. So I would buy like these Disney DVDs because they would come out of the vault. You can only buy the princess DVD for 90 days yeah. and then it was gone. And so I would load up and all this stuff. But when Amazon offered FBA in like 2011, I'm like, oh, I don't have to do with any of this garbage anymore. Like that was like such a game changer. So to your point of like, yeah, all the hard work, I mean, there's still hard work, but all of the really nitty gritty, like, you know, if you wanted to get someone's email address, like you had to build a site. And like, you know, kind of like code, I learned HTML. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was just like, okay, fine. This goes yep. here. And, and now like click, 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 done, you know? Yeah. I think it, it really is amazing. How many, if you got started in that era, everyone had to, you had to learn basic HTML because you had to be able to change headings on your eBay auctions. True. Right? You had to learn it there. <laughs> and so like, oh, I need to make it stand out. Let me learn how to bold the heading. But I think it's been amazing um, what you've done since then. So like, I mean, you've, you have Amazon stores and you have some really niche things that you do. Uh, but then you also have, um, you still do your, your day job, but you also still help people in high fi in their finance and investing. One question I always have when I hear everything you're doing, and I think people ask this kind of to me sometimes, but I don't think I do half of what you do is how do you manage all of that and manage your time through all of that? Like you do a lot of different things. I, I guess I'll open with the unfairness. And, and that is, I found, so I've always been like a night person, but I've also found that like, you know, there's all these studies about how much sleep you have to have and better sleep and good sleep. And so I, I definitely will say I have a little bit of an unfair advantage that I don't need seven, eight hours of sleep. I actually find that like, I'm an, if you, if you gave me a Tuesday night with eight hours of sleep, I would probably be groggy on Wednesday and I would be slow uh, to move in the morning. I generally operate on a good five, six hours is totally optimal. Five is totally fine for me. I can probably run a few nights in a row at four, but you know, I, I'm sure there's probably medical professionals listening, you know, chuckling how stupid this guy is, but I kind of know my, I know my body cadence. And so I, I definitely have a little bit more time than some people. Um, that being said though, I do use my nights to do a lot of these things. Um, I've also been able to, so my, my day job, right? Like one, when I'm dealing with learning businesses and valuing businesses and people are looking to buy or sell something, you start to learn a lot of the levers of what really makes it work efficiently. So when, when I started in Amazon, nobody had like standard operating procedures. It was kind of like fly by the seat of your pants. And some of it's like fun that way. I get it. Um, and then some of it is like, well, if I don't have the time, I'm going to have to trade something somewhere. So um, that was one thing I did. I kind of put processes in place, which I'm not like a, a purely operational person. Like I don't like some of that, but I knew that if I didn't do it, that it just it was going to fall apart. And then the next thing I did is I found people who liked a lot of things I didn't like doing. And, and that's where the complementary kind of team building is. And then I don't remember where I learned this, but I kind of fell into the idea of I'd rather own a large part or a small part of something that's doing well than own 100% of something that's floundering or going to zero or something of that nature. So when, when thinking about like, 
hey, bringing on a partner or giving away some equity or paying somebody more money and reducing the profits. I looked at it as like, okay, well, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? Is this going to fall apart? Is this going to be worthwhile for me? Is this a good use of my time? So I kind of, that's how I think about things. And so if, I, if I'm in a project and I'm like, okay, I think this is really good. I want to test it, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to have the time for this. I will kind of more or less almost like give something away. And, and the, a perfect example is my brother-in-law and I, he, he was helping, he, he was trying to get out. He was a teacher. He was trying to get out of it. Um, he wanted to do something in business and he didn't have like a good background. So I said, listen, there's, there's a lot of administrative things with admin, uh, with Amazon. Um, I really don't like doing them. I will, here's my process and procedure. I made some videos and I said, here, tell me if this, and he loves structure. And so this is like super structured. And I'm like, okay, I can get you customers for this. Do this for me, now do this for them. And I took probably too little of the business, but it was fine because for me, it's like, I'm getting something done that I need to do anyway, which I hated doing. I'm getting money for his work, right? He now has a livelihood. We ultimately merged this into a way bigger company and I'm an advisor for that company and he has a job that he likes and he has profit share with them. So it was a win-win all around, but a lot of people would have been like, oh, that that doesn't fit. Like I, I'm giving way too much or whatever it is, but it was a business I really want to do for myself. I know it would work, but I just didn't want to do it. And so that's how I kind of think about certain things. It is interesting how many bad decisions happen or people hold on to a part of a business for that, the exact opposite. They want to have 100% of it where you can still maintain control or you, or even just recognizing, hey, for this to actually do its job, I need to be farther out of it, right? And um, I think that's really important. I'm, in, I'm working on one of those right now on, a, on one of our side businesses that I don't want to be a side business. I want it to have legs and actually take off. And I'm like, if it's going to take off, I have to have people with energy there because otherwise... And so that means they need to have some interest and it needs to make sense. Or it would just sit as a side project and it deserves full energy, just can't be my full energy. Um, right. Yeah. So it, it's like, it's it, you have to like put the ego aside and realize like the actual selfish thing, the best interest thing might be giving up a little bit and, and putting that aside. But um, I wish that I only needed to sleep four or five hours. Um, there was a stage, I felt like I was through my 20s, that was pretty realistic. I would, the family would go to sleep, I'd stay up late, and that's when I would build and do things. And now, man, I just, I don't have that same, uh, same bio clock running anymore, but that's okay. Now I just need better, better processes. Um, tell us a little about your, about your lion's den podcast. Like what, what made you decide to start a podcast? What's the main uh, topic of it? And maybe like a favorite guest you've had on. Yeah. So, um, I, I think I really started it, um, well, I think if I'm being honest, I first started because I was thinking like, hey, I, I think I want to get into business consulting. And what better way to do that to both showcase my knowledge and get to meet people and hear about business? Because I just love talking about business. But the reality is, is like deep down, like I know that I am totally, lack of a better word, intellectually curious about business all the time. I love learning things that I don't know anything about or something I know a little bit about and want to know more about and probably a ton of useless knowledge that resides in the brain, but whatever it is. Um, so, so when I started, it was like the hardest part for me was not being good at something because I'm so used to like, okay, do this thing, try this thing, be good at this thing, keep going. And podcasting, like I didn't think about it as a skill because I'm like, hey, I could speak on stage. I've done it. I speak in boardrooms all the time. I'm comfortable. No big deal. How hard could this be? Uh, yeah, it's way different. Like the interview style was fine, but the solo episodes, like my kids actually joke with me. They'll play like the first episode 
And which is like, and they're like, listen to you. Do you even hear yourself? Like, you know, and I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> like fine. But um, I really just wanted to learn more things about business that I didn't know. Yeah. And then ultimately took on a totally different shape because I'm like, okay, I'm not, do, I'm not going to do business consulting from this thing. I'm like I totally dished that within like the first month or two because um, a, it wasn't, it didn't motivate me the same way I thought it would. And I didn't feel like I was going to have the same kind of impact that I was really looking to do, but I still loved meeting business people, entrepreneurs, people who are running their business and kind of like showing someone else the ideas that they're afraid to know, they don't have access to ask the questions or they're afraid to kind of, you know, do make that mistake. I think a lot of times business, especially entrepreneurs like or small business owners, they fall into one of two categories. They're either like gung-ho and they're willing to make every mistake under the sun and they're fearless and they just, you know, build, build, build and whatever, figure it out. And then there's a lot of people that like they're they're just afraid and it's natural, it's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you could find out that one thing beforehand, maybe you'll feel better about it. And the truth of the matter is you'll never know all the things in, in you know, ready is a lie, so to speak. Right. But at, at the end of the day, like if you hear someone else who's like, well, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was going to manufacture this tea or I was going to manufacture nutraceuticals. And I just made all these mistakes. You feel a little bit better that like, oh, okay. You know, like one, one guest, he built a, a lawn care business over a hundred million dollars. And you're kind of like, could that even be possible? Well, this guy proved right. That it, it, it's possible. So I think for me, it's just like, I love having business conversations and love learning about different things. Um, in terms of the guests, it's really interesting because there are some guests that um, I personally am dying to ask these questions for, right? Like, I, I want to know, well, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? And then there are other times, like they wrote a book and I love the book. And it's, it's not a, a, um, a starstruck awe thing, but you're, you're trying like, not to ask all the things about the book on the interview. You're trying to have a good, and and I always wonder like, is that a good episode? It's not a good, is that not a good episode, right? And and you're waiting for feedback from people. And so with podcasts, like one of the harder things is that you don't have uh, a great mechanism to know, you know how many downloads you have, you know how many listens you have. Outside of that, there's very little transparency into what is going on. And, you know, it sometimes it's like this little bit of a, of a black hole. So my guests... I would say um, there was a, a guest who was probably, I don't know, five or six episodes ago. I don't even remember anymore, but Hillel Fold, he's a, he's a tech growth you know, marketing advisor, in, specifically in Israel, but he deals with a lot of American companies and high growth companies. Um, that pod, the, the number of downloads on that episode is like double any other one. The episode was an hour and it was, I have to tell you, like it was fire. Like he just kept going. And so many people reached out to me on that episode that it wasn't just me. Like I had a blast and I, and, and like, we, like, I really resonate with, like, I know him personally, but like a lot of his messaging resonates with me, but it just, what a lot of times you hear something from someone else, it lands differently. And like the punches were just kind of flowing and, and really landing both for me, but also the listener base. So I would say that's probably one of, you know, there, there are a lot of great episodes, but his has just been like numbers are crazy. That's awesome. It's hard to even summarize the, the things that you and I have talked about that you do. And I know I probably don't know all of them, but with everything that you're involved in and everything that you see happening in the entrepreneurial space, um, not only through you know, what you have worked on, but maybe some of your clients are working in, where are you seeing some of the biggest opportunities here this year and into the next coming year 
in terms of like if someone's looking to get involved in business where or either and i think there's two ways to look at that like there's the big thing like where's the 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 blue ocean i'm not a big fan of that stuff i don't have that i don't have vc money to go after it but more like um just where the where the low hanging fruit the next opportunities i call it the pink ocean right where is there already things established but there's not so much blood in the water that there's no more opportunity left i think it always obviously goes to a little bit of like what speaks to you and where your skill sets lie right we're in 2022 now and e-commerce is whatever 10 20 years in right it it's technically 20 years in amazon started in whatever 98 or whatever it is but I, I will say like, it's still early days, even though like COVID and all that stuff accelerated things probably like 10 years. And I think Shopify said that at the end of 2020 on their earnings call, they were like, yeah, what we saw in the last 12 months was what we kind of expected over the next 10 years. Um, but I think there's so much that is still ahead for e-commerce. Like people who are like, oh, I'm late to the game or, oh, it's too late. No, it's it's not. And I think direct to consumer as an industry is evolving at a rapid pace. Whereas if you think, if you thought 10 years ago, you could compete with, you know, Procter and Gamble, people would tell you you've lost your mind. But if you go into not, if you shop online, or even if you go into some of these niche stores or even target, you're seeing brands that you didn't hear of, and they're not owned by Procter and Gamble, or at least not yet. Right. Right. And, And so like, there's definitely opportunity there. It's much more, the consumer is very focused on, does the brand speak to me? Right. Like, Tide, you know, Procter and Gamma owns Tide, right? And so Tide or Crest or whatever it is, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising. They're in your face, they're in magazines, they're in wherever they are, they're in your TVs. But from a medium, the the average consumer, though, if you can hit the right avatar, right? Like if you're speaking to someone specifically today, it's not, it's not something you could have done 10 years ago. And now you can build an audience, you can have people who are like, hey, this is my thing. I am um, a paleo eating CrossFitter who doesn't really, you know, who fights the environment and, and you can make products that really just talk to them, right? And yeah, you can make broad products too, but if you want to stay like pink ocean, right? Right. Is there nobody else fighting in those waters? Yeah, there are, but it doesn't mean you can't jump in and it doesn't mean you won't survive. And, you know, just seeing some of the things out there that are so interesting with direct to consumer marketing, that that's something that really interests me. I mean, I think that then leads to what's the thing behind it, right? Logistics is a disaster of a nightmare. And if if you're into that stuff, like there's tons of solutions that are necessary, both technologically and US-based, where people are like, hey, I can't think about things abroad anymore. I have to be able to get domestic. And then if you're a big technology person, I I know enough to be dangerous. I do not know enough about it, but like decentralization, Web3, all that stuff and, and the utilization and use cases for NFTs are going to be super cool. So there's there's yep. always something around the corner. I think that like, if you're like, hey, I want to learn something new, there, there are plenty of things that like, depending on what speaks to you. And, and then what I, I guess- think is, is neat with what's coming with Web3 and decentralization is in the end, it's still we're still going to be seeing consumer habits and still we, we, so like a lot of people want to go and create something crazy. I'm like, you have to realize all the things that exist now need to exist there. Right. And so the irony is like one of the things that you meant, all three of what you just mentioned is something I think is really important. How are they, how are projects going to exist in, in metaverse and, and place like that, but still have real time in or real life, right. Fulfillment. 
And those are going to be huge things because people are going to still want things shipped to their house and they're still going to want things to show up. And, you know, I, I, I only half jokingly say like, if, if, or Uber Eats and Postmates and these kind of guys, if they don't get in there fast, then there's a huge opportunity for somebody else to. Because what you're not going to want to leave your app to go back to your phone to order something, right? You're going to want to do it right then. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of, anyways, there's a huge there uh, or a lot of opportunity there. But I think what you said earlier on about like finding what you lean into, like what are you already good at? I think that is really smart if people are looking at what's next for them in in whether, you know, a business, where do you already have skills? What are you already interested in? Because it's going to be a lot easier to, I'm a big yeah. fan of leaning into strengths. It, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of times we avoid it or we don't recognize because like, you know, whatever you want to call it, the professor syndrome, like, Hey, I know this, or everybody knows this. And you just don't realize that not everybody knows it. And I, I think that was one of the things for me that people were just coming to me for like financial advice and, and investing and all these things. And I'm like, Oh yeah, don't do that or do this or whatever it was, because I'm like, yeah, like that, that to me was almost like common knowledge. And the more I noticed like that, no, people continue to come, it must be that there's like a lack of it. And, you know, even now, like this year, besides like creating, you know, Future Phone with, with Julie, I just like this past year, I started teaching at my son's high school because I felt like the seniors, like, I don't know, my parents taught me certain things and like I teach my kids, but there's probably half the class, if not more, who don't have a concept. And it's so interesting, like there are kids in the class, like there's one kid in, in, in the senior class that I teach, he, he, he's what I, you know, he runs a hustle in the sense that like he goes to the bagel store in the morning and he brings a, a tub of cream cheese to the school with him. So he like, you know, he's offering bagels and cream cheese and whatever else he's selling for breakfast. I don't know, muffins from Costco, sure. you know, you pay a buck, you sell three for three, yeah. whatever it is. Right. He's in this class and we're talking about like investing in stocks and real estate and all the things. And I'm trying to frame it and I'm expecting him to be like the most like dialed in knowledgeable. And he's like, I don't understand what is a mutual fund. And I'm like, okay, let's back this train up because I'm expecting like, if this kid knows how to make money, he knows what to do with it. And it's not true. And that's what I find with entrepreneurs, right? Some of them are amazing at making money, which is great. They don't know what to do once they have it. And that's where like the disconnect is like, oh, okay, let me educate. Let me help you because, and, and financial services is like, you know, I, I just had this conversation with an HR person yesterday and I, she is the head of HR of a you know investment firm, right? So it's a financial services firm, and we were talking about her. I I call it the the non investment professionals at the investment firm. Like I said, like half of it. She's like, how about two thirds of it? I'm like, okay, fine. Two thirds of your employees. She says they come to me and they're afraid to ask questions because they feel like they work in this industry. How stupid is it if they ask a basic question? And I'm like, oh, okay. So you clearly need something to service these people because even the people who work in the industry don't even know. And, yep. you know, so it's just common. Yeah. It's, it is interesting how that happens in everything where the older we get, the, we don't want to admit we don't know things anymore. Right. But that's when we need to be asking the harder questions. Cause that's when we really are, it's time to start applying. It's time to start doing. It. And I think it happens in every industry and in every, in every field of expertise or in everything where we start to, I don't, I get you called it the professor syndrome or whatever it is, but it, it's really like, I really wish that we could change that culture because it's okay to not know things. And we do have Google, but it's also okay to like, yeah, the same thing. You may have to teach the same thing a million times because it's now so simple to you, but to a lot of us, it's still brand new. 
or maybe maybe we're finally at that point of life we're ready to learn it right um now i'm a big believer we were talking off offline before we started recording about travel i'm a big believer in lifestyle design like you do all these amazing things in business to me it means nothing if you're not also collecting experiences and living a a, a full life what is one item on Arya's personal bucket list you're going to accomplish in the next 12 months? Ooh, 12 months. Put me on the clock. Um, so I think, um, I, I think what I've recognized is, um, you know, now that I have, you know, my, let's call it my programs or at least things where I can work with people and, and impact them in different ways. Um, I think there's going to be a, a fork that I have to come to really soon. Not about, oh, do I keep my nine to five, that fork, but more of, do I want to be offering more of A or B? And so the A or the B is um, a lot of business owners, there's this intersection where finance and marketing meet and there's a black hole. And people are like, oh, I'll hire a CFO or I'll get a fractional CFO. And a lot of times it's actually more um, almost like data analytics that you need to be studying. And a lot of small business owners don't actually understand that that's an important thing. So do I kind of like lean into that, which I like and I'm good at, but I think I'm, I'm leaning already that I'm seeing that the fork in the road is that if I can get the education about personal wealth and and kind of like how to think about your personal finances and investing for the future a little bit more. And so I, I think it may even lean towards heading towards corporate education of, you know, it's great to help the entrepreneurs, but if I can even then kind of expand that towards corporations, there's the, the financial services in, gen, in general is like this incentivized siloed thing where everybody is like being sold the solution that this person offers versus, oh, you know, um, I can get actual advice where there's no incentive or I'm truly trying to help you and I'm not being paid in some way, shape or form to tell you to go left or right. Like I'm, I'm indifferent, go left or right, which is kind of how I feel like it should be, right? Like it should be truly advisory. But if you say to someone on a financial advisor, they assume you work at Merrill Lynch and they're trying to, you know, you're going to try and get asked for their assets and manage their money. So I think, I think that's the fork I'm coming up upon. Is it helping that business owner with their finances or is it helping um, people in general? And I think what to what we talked about a little bit earlier is lighting you up. What what excites me? Yeah. Do I have knowledge in both? Yes. So now which way do I lean? I think it, it may be more towards the, you know, helping people's finances. And even if it means, you know, just marketing a little bit more towards the corporate side, because you just have many more people who are just sitting there as employees. Yeah. There's a lot, yeah. There's a lot of opportunity, and it's it's going to be fun to see how you continue to grow. Because again, you're already spinning a million plates, um, but you're good about setting those SOPs in place. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, Arya, they can find you on Instagram at Arya the Businessman or at your website Solution Advisory, and from there find all your other places. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and to all my business ninjas wherever you're listening, it's your turn to go out and do something. 
Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.